When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Scott Bass, let's kick off with realwatersports.com and surfnvs.com. Yeah, you know, Real Water Sports, the cool thing is they're up to date. Did you realize, David, that they've got the Pizel White Tiger and Red Tiger, uh, basically a model that just started marketing a couple of days ago. It's already up on their site. What say you? <laughs> reason why Scott and I are laughing is we were just having this conversation off air and we realized it should be on air. But yeah, the um, the timeliness is impressive. Pizel released the model two days ago, and then boom, Real Water Sports has it yesterday. So I don't know how's that how that happens so quickly. How does Pizel make boards in Hawaii, get them to North Carolina the very next day, and then North Carolina gets them out to where wherever we are in the world? Super top secret, but it doesn't matter how they do it. What matters is that they do do it. Real Water Sports, uh, your go-to place for surfboards, fins, wetsuits, leashes, traction, board bags, sunscreen, any of the gear you're going to need for traveling this season. Great point. And um, we also ride and use and are partnered with NVS Fins, Naked, Naked Viking Surf. Today, figured I'd spill the beans. Today, I'm riding a Christensen lane splitter with a tri-fin setup, and I've got the uh, C-Drive, the blue C-Drives in that so that's what i'm gonna ride today yeah and i'm uh in the enviable position of um ordering some new boards for a surf trip i'm taking and i've got my you know my uh my drawer full of nvs fins from which i get to this fun process of kind of selecting which ones make the most sense for which board so we love our nvs fins and um can't say enough positive things about those things we really need to design a comedy segment about how often you are ordering new boards. And I get comments from listeners. I it's To me, it almost falls on deaf ears because we've been doing this so long. But yeah. I get comments from listeners all the time. They're just like, it's like a clown car, but instead of a car, it's a garage and it's surfboards instead of clowns. Well, let's go into the show and I'll discuss some, some boards that are coming. Sounds coming. good. See some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, freaking guy. David, did you know that it's time for yeah, guy? Yeah, guy, I do. <laughs> Let me hear you say that again. Yeah, guy. 
<laughs> yeah, guy. What if one day we open the show and as soon as I see you opening your mouth and taking an inhale, I jump in with a yeah guy. Yeah, guy. Cut you off. Um, it is spit. It is a uh, Wednesday morning. It's March 8th. And it's a, the opening day of the WSL's Mio Portugal Pro, I think is what it's called. And uh, it's, as I mentioned, it's a Wednesday here in Southern California. And um, this is spit. We talk surf, David Lee Scales, Scott Bass here, and we're talking... All things surfing. We were discussing uh, earlier surfboards, custom ordered surfboards. As we do regularly. Um, Guess guess what, listeners? Spoiler alert. Scott Bass is ordering surfboards. (laughs) Not not surfboard. Surfboards. Yeah. So I I have a uh, Stu Kenson that's supposedly on the way. I don't know. It's a it's like a large, kind of like a seven, six Twinser thing. Nice. I think. I kind of forget what I ordered, to be honest seven, with you. Seven, like six. A, it's like a winter board. You know what Pointy, I mean? Pointy, step up. Mm, kind of, no, like a mid-lengthy kind of. Uh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. With his classic Twinser set up, which the NVS fins will be great for. Yeah, totally. All the, the fins will be great for all these boards. So, and then I um have a ryan sakel uh quad fin that's that's being made i'm not sure where that is in the process but i'm excited about that one coming to me soon what what uh what's the outline what's the length it's kind of got a it's a fish basically it's a quad fish right so it's got a fish outline very traditional well not super traditional more of like a i guess you could say like a steve lissy kind of outline another when i say that i mean the nose is a little bit pulled in a little pointier for the fish which i like because it creates curve up Mm -hmm. in the front with the wide point maybe an inch and a half or two inches forward and then sort of a straighter rail line from the wide point down with four fins and some freaky you know sanded out mojo on the bottom some double concave here or there some spiral this spiral that i love that design yeah i'm pretty psyched on that one and i just ordered uh i was down at camp shred over the weekend and i ran into rob at sharp eye and we were discussing some of the boards there and so i ordered the 77 plus wow sharp eye which i learned is basically the 77 that I believe Felipe rides, but the plus is because they hide a little bit of foam up in the front part of the board. It's actually a step up for Kanoa when they're surfing like ledgy slabby waves and they need some foam in the chest to kind of last paddle, get you down into it. But for me, it's more like old man foam up in the, up in the chest area, which I, I like. So I'm, I've ordered a six, two, which is my short board size. Um, yeah. I see a real marketing synergy opportunity right here through spit mm. and in partnered with sharp eye new model for Scott Bass, the hard <laughs> 77, <laughs> the 77 hard. <laughs> It's an organic fit. It's all been leading up to this moment. They've been doing the 77. You've been doing the 70 hard, right? 70, or hard 75 hard. 77 70, hard. Right. So 77, it's an days. easy. Exactly. You go two extra days, which will let you go down a liter in foam. 
And then uh, it'll be up a liter from what Kanoa is riding still. So more than the plus, but less than what you normally ride. Uh, guaranteed to work for the everyman. Guaranteed to work for 90% of our listeners. Yeah, uh, I think you're on something. So look, Rob at Sharpa, if you hear this, just you know, do know that, um, look, the demographic is aging into sort of where I'm at. Most of these guys still want to rip and shred, but um, they might need a little bit more foam. This is where the 77 plus by Sharpie comes in. This is, look, Kanoa's aging, Felipe's age. They're all getting older. One day they are going to need the, the 77 hard, and this yes. will be available for them. 77 hard. Planning for the well, future. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't know if they want to uh, attach their marketing tentacles to my surfing because it might not might not be pretty <clears throat> too late it's too late could be too late um so what do we discuss first that upcoming trip or camp shred well uh let's talk about camp shred i guess it was it was uh it was a success you know my friend scott desiderio puts this thing on along with um surf ride here in oceanside and solana beach and um, look, the waves weren't super good. It was cold. It was last weekend. So if you're in Southern California, you know, it was sort of a, an off weekend for surf. And frankly, as we've been mentioning the last two months, it's friggin' chilly. Like it feels like it's the coldest winter I've ever experienced in Southern California. Usually like, look, it's 55 and you know, 53 in the morning and we get high pressure and we get these kind of mild Santa Ana's and it gets like to be 71 or 72. Yeah. For like, you know, the hours between 11 and three or whatever. But it's been the high temperature has been 55 degrees. Yeah. Like that's as high as it gets. And you add with that the snow melt from the mountains from all of this snow we've had, this at, this uh, precipitation. It's melting into the rivers, which are flowing into the ocean. And there's a lot of wind with these low pressures creating upwelling. So we have this 55, 56 degree water temperature, which, as we mentioned last time, is sustained. And uh, I, I won't dwell too long on that because it just sounds like we're we're crying a pity party here. But uh, it's cold. It's And Camp Shred didn't you know, have the greatest waves, but they had a good turnout. And there's a lot of fun people to see there. And um Rob at Sharp, I, we had a great talk. He was gracious enough to, to chat it up with me about. And we also talked about the um, the board build-off that the WSL is doing, you know, the, the board. What is it called again? It's called Shapers the, Rankings. Yeah, the Shapers Rankings. But don't they have a name for it, like board something or other? Or? I Anyway, Shapers it. Rankings. Yeah. What we were kind of discussing was um, it's interesting – Basically, we're wondering, should they separate it from men's and women's? Should there be a shapers rankings for women and a shapers rankings for men? Because it could be that because there's a smaller pool of women surfers, that means there's a smaller pool of shapers. And that pool is pretty concentrated and it tends to sort of override the results. Um, and override might not be the best word, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's the results of the women's. There's kind of takes there's a smaller because yeah there's a smaller sample set on the women's but it's given equal weight in the end result oh is it well i thought so right i don't know that's that's what rob and i were discussing I and mean, we sensed that maybe it wasn't but i don't know the exact how it's working but um well i, I ultimately what it would come down to is 
Is there, you know, there's essentially three or four brands that are vying for, you know, that have the most team riders essentially on tour. So is there one female riding uh, shapers boards that's not from one of those brands that might win everything? And then that one shaper kind of ends up at the top of the rankings based on just one surfer as opposed to three or four. Yeah. Is that yeah. but I don't I, I don't think, even think that's a legitimate concern. I think ultimately I don't know. on the women's yeah. side, there's still the same three or four brands. Yeah, it feels like really what needs to happen at this point is we reach out to uh either Vinny at Vistula or somebody at the WSL and kind of maybe it's on their site we could get the full rundown of the rules on how that works. <laughs> I really I can't sit here and make comment if I don't even if I haven't even read the rules. I'm just mentioning that Rob and I were discussing, you know, the amount of weight given to the women's side of the equation versus the men's side of the equation. Does it pan out? Is it does it is it equal, so to speak, um, based on there's less women, um, more men? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, since uh, (laughs) we didn't even do the due diligence of going to the website to read up. We're doing it it now. I'm going to do it right now. I went to Dave okay. Prodan because I know Prodan's kind of been behind this. Uh, I went to his Instagram because I remember that he did post the update after sunset. So this is right. current going into right. Portugal. Yeah. And he said, update, following the second stop of the 23 championship tour season, uh, Marcio Zuvi, Sharp Eyes Surfboards, has gone back to back with men's wins with Jack Robinson at Pipeline and then Felipe Toledo at Sunset. And it was Matt Biolos and the Mayhem team's strong men and women's results that vaulted them to pole position on the Visla CT Shaper rankings. That's what it's called, the Visla okay. CT Shaper, Shaper rankings. Uh, headed into the third event of the season, the Mayo Rip Curl Pro Portugal starting next week. Australia's DHD, California's Channel Islands, and Hawaii's Paisel round out the top five. But a lot can change. Uh, in this episode of their podcast, The Lineup, him and Mitch Salazar discuss all of it. So go listen to that if you want to catch up on it. Uh, so yeah. so restating first place, uh, Mayhem, based on the men and the women's results. Sharp Eyes still in first or still in second with the two big wins uh, for the men. And then third is DHD, fourth is Channel Islands, fifth is Paisal. Huh. All right. Well, my question to you is, should they separate the men's from the women's in this list no. T-shapers rankings? Okay. I don't see a need. Okay. Very All good. inclusive. Um, look, it's the funny thing is you and I care about, you know, the board building community. We are friends with each of those uh, people at those brands that were just labeled. We love them all, support them all, all that. I think this is a great idea. It's kind of confusing. Like the way that they've rolled it out, it just feels, uh, and I'm not even sure why, because it's not that complicated of a concept, but it's only now three events in and you and I kind of talking to the people in those brands that were now like, oh yeah, maybe we should be actually paying attention to this thing. I think maybe it feels unnecessary. Like we've always paid attention and we always knew exactly which brands were kind of how they were stack ranked in our own brains. So I guess this just feels like a little bit. Uh, well, you know what it is necessary. I don't know if it's unnecessary. I, I, it's fun. You and I are talking about it. It's engaging. It, it adds a layer, which I think is cool. I do think maybe, and and again, I'm reaching here. I don't know if this is the case, but I do know that on that F1 show, the part that makes it uh, 
as exciting as the actual race is the amount of time and energy that the teams yeah. that build the cars and build the engines and the fact that they're literally as the cars in the race they're making changes to the amount of fuel going to the or whatever right the teams are super involved and i think that the wsl is like that's a cool concept like it is the shapers should be more involved in the ct and what we're doing we need to kind of lift them up the way f1 has lifted up the teams and their thing and and it could be square peg round syndrome, but it, I, I, I'm excited that they're trying to do it. Well, the culture, it's, I'm trying to distinguish what the differentiation is because there is such strong brand identity with Ferrari versus uh, Aston Martin or whatever. I don't even know what the major, major manufacturers Peugeot, are. For maybe, I don't either. I don't know. Red okay. Bull. I think they yeah. have a car. <laughs> but they don't manufacture the car. No. They're just sponsoring the car. Yeah. So with each of those individual car manufacturers, Mercedes, there's such strong brand identity. And when I've watched, I watched season one of that show, I immediately know who Mercedes is and what their brand identity is and who Ferrari is and what their brand. And I have an emotion attached to it, even though I'll never have either one of those cars. It's like, I kind of am rooting for one versus the other. Then the driver's are a separate entity who you're also trying to run a calculus on and deciding which brand do you like the best, which driver do you like the best. But the brand identity thing for the surf world, I'm trying to distinguish what is, it's not as well-defined maybe. It's not like, I love all of them, you know? Um, because the commonality in the car world is with the surf world is there's also this regional distinction. And that's true with the board world too. It's like Sharp Eye Brazil, DHD Australia, Paisel Hawaii, Channel Islands California. And so you could divide it up that way and pick an alliance, but I don't. In my head, I still have as much fondness for each of them, even though I am American or Californian. Um, so I understand, like, it's interesting to try to figure out what the distinction is because there's so much overlap and similarity. You think it would just be Rip, replicate what they're doing and he would have the same level of interest over here but i don't well, know there's there's less this. division i think here a couple of things first we're hoping that make or break right now as they're recording this you know next season's episode that they're including this visla ct uh shapers what did you call it again shapers, shapers rankings cup. it's actually shapers simpler rankings. than you want it to be <laughs> shapers rankings i thought there was a cup involved or something no so are they filming it? In other words, are they yeah. like putting the camera in front of mayhem? Are they putting the camera in front of Pizel? Are they and and as they do that, are they going, you know, are they building up a narrative like it's interesting to see how John's going to react to this because it's going to help him move up the Visla CT shapers rankings? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, are they including that narrative? And in, in we I guess we won't know until next year, unless this season from last year is already doing that. I don't think it is because this well, is a new, this is a new uh program. And it's not just the camera in the face, it's going to the factory and really yes. distilling and understanding what is the difference between a Ferrari and a Mercedes. Well, they're this bo- brings me to both... my second point. Yeah. As you were as you were talking about your your viewing of the F1 series, and you you said that you immediately knew the Mercedes versus the Peugeot or the yeah. whatever. Um was as an end user, as a viewer of the show, were you more aligned to have a favorite based on the personalities that were behind the scenes as opposed to the actual brand logo 
In other words, did you go, I really like the way this guy at Mercedes is the engineer dude or, or the little like worker tinkerer guy over here at Peugeot. He's fascinating. So now I'm a Peugeot guy based solely on these individuals. I came in with preconceived preferences, but was 100% subject to the personalities and willing to shift alliances. Yes. That's in, so that's fascinating. That's cool. That yeah. means that it's working. Yeah. Um, and so as we're discussing, I'm having more thoughts. Um, I think that the individual brands in the surf world have done a phenomenal job of uh, branding themselves, you know, like Paisel has a distinct brand from DHD from Channel Islands. It's all the support stuff that hasn't dive dove deep enough to reinforce all of that around it. So I think um, like the reason why Ferrari has such lore, they've done a good job branding. And then everybody who buys Ferraris builds that lore and all the media builds that lore. And then they build move, they make movies about Ferrari versus Ford. And I've heard stories about Enzo Ferrari having an interaction with the dude from Lamborghini, like the dude from Lamborghini was selling tractors and he became rich and he wanted to buy the best car in all of Italy. So he went to Ferrari and Ferrari basically snubbed him like, dude, you're a farmer. I'm not going to sell you a car. And the farmer goes, you know what? You just created the biggest competitor of your life. And he started creating an equally, you know, a supercar to compete with Ferrari. So had Enzo had a little humility. He could have had a customer for life. Instead, he created his biggest competitor. So stories like that you hear and it builds up the lore. I feel like all of the support media for the surf world um, can help build the lore for those individual brands. And maybe that's why you and I interview some of these people and try to you know, help uh, create some of that storytelling. But I think this, maybe the WSL is also creating the storytelling and helping define and distinguish those brands from one another. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, um, I just was watching on Stab. I was watching Jai Gindaman's. Yeah, geez. Uh, there's this edit. Like it's basically a stripped back edit of him riding um, boards from Stab in the Dark. Yeah. And as I was going through it, so he's riding like Channel Islands, and of course I'm engaged. And then he rides, you know, DHD, and I think he rides a Paisel, and he rides a Pukas, and he rides a Mayhem you know lost and he rides all these different boards and i found myself going okay like for me dhd like it's kind of um from my perspective in my perspective only i don't feel like dhd has fully engaged me with their brand like i'm not uh, you know what i mean it's a nationalistic thing Maybe it is. Maybe in, in Australia, it's just like everyone automatically knows the story. And I'm more like I know Channel Islands. I know Matt at Lost. Um, I know John Pizel. And I feel therefore I feel like I know their branding a little bit mm-hmm. more. I feel like DHD and JS and even Pukas on some level. I'm just not as although I'm pretty I actually I have more of an understanding of Pukas actually because there's their factory burned down. So I got engaged in that story a little bit. Yeah. But anyway, um, so it's just me then. It's not that, like, I, I don't sense the DHT has a massive branding, um, uh, like, blanket here in well, Cal- I think, Southern California. No, they don't. And even in Australia, I think they've relied on Mick Fanning, Stephanie Gilmore, now Ethan Ewing, 
like those are the branding vehicles. And so there's not more beyond, not a ton more beyond that. Yeah. Uh, and that's really all they needed, you know, to become yeah. in their position. Um, but I understand what you're saying as well. Like, I think we're I mean, kind Matt of has such a robust yeah. thing. You know, he's got these incredible videos from the late eighties, early nineties. He's true. Got, you know, he's got friggin' Andy, clothing. the clothing, clothing yeah. just kind of this crazy kind of like, 90s lifestyle that has now spilled up into a, a more uh for lack of a better phrase mature branding effort um you know he as he's grown up his brand has grown up basically well that i think is a great example of kind of what we're trying to di distill is it's just for some brands it's just surfboards and surfers and for other people they thought of it more kind of globally and created things other than surfboards. So obviously the the uh, videos back in the day were the most important marketing vehicle and Lost made the best videos, arguably. And so that was a huge benefit for the surfboard brand. And then the clothing went in hand with that. So it was a bigger brand than just a surfboard brand. Um, and Channel Islands, to a certain degree, by having a more robust clothing line, by offering board bags that are, you know, not just... Uh, a side thing. It's like, no, these are the highest quality board bags, traction, the highest quality traction, uh, leashes, the highest quality leashes, not just a t-shirt that you get for free with the surfboard purchase. It's like a whole business is all of the soft good stuff. So I think that's a way to kind of expand the brand as well. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Well, I, 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 I I would say that like when I think of Lost, I think, okay, this is a this is a brand that did a really good job of going, hey, we're punk rock. And you don't even actually have to wear a jersey, specifically back in the 90s. You don't even have to wear a jersey. Just go out there and get radical and be raw and be Chris Ward and whatever. And, and just, you know what, we're going to blow up. And you know what, we might not win world titles, but watch us rip the shit out of it better than any world champion. Yeah. And then you think of like when I think of, and that's what I'm just kind of surmising. And when I think of um, Channel Islands, I think, okay, what we have here is clean, sort of regal world champions with Tom Kern, Kelly Slater, Lisa Anderson. Um, as clean a brand as the perfect right points up in Santa Barbara that it sort of represents, just like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and so we've got great branding there and and Channel Islands basically kind of on the backs of world champions. And DHD is kind of on that Channel Islands model, for lack of a yeah. better way to put it. I'm not saying they're copying them, but they're no. like going, look, we got Mick, you know, we got Ethan Young, and, and these guys are going to drive our marketing. And, um, you know, so that's sort of, in Paisel, I don't know. It's just interesting. To, and I think it would be fun for the WSL to be able to help unearth these narratives through make it or break it, and then pushing forward the Vislo CT shapers rankings kind of all within it. Yeah. I think, I, I think it's a, I was saying it kind of felt unnecessary at the beginning of this conversation that like we already knew who was stack ranked in our heads, the best shapers or the shapers who are kind of performing the best on the CT. But the more I think about it, I think it's great that the WSL does create a little official rankings around it because ultimately the new user, the new viewer doesn't understand who's who and what's what. And so for the WSL to kind of provide a framework where they're explaining it 
through each event. And then, yeah, if they have the make or break series doing a deeper dive to showcase these personalities and all that sort of stuff, then I think that's uh, beneficial for everybody. And it is interesting, but yeah, get in there and find out what's under the hood is what I want to see too. From the Here's filmmakers. an interesting thought too, is that they're doing it for the CT. I believe that there are three longboard events this season to crown a champion in the in the WSL's longboard tour. It'd be kind of cool if they did this with the longboard shapers. There's so many more, so much more diversity in board builders on exactly. that tour. There's a lot of narrative. There's a lot of storyline. Yeah. But I agree with you. That'd be, that's a whole, I mean, that honestly should be the business for the longboard uh, tour. I agree. Like the totally. competition is the least important thing. The culture and all the people involved is way more robust and interesting and would give them endless amount of raw material to work with. And I think there's a larger, uh, well, maybe not larger, but as large a segment of the viewing audience that can relate to that. It's like, oh yeah, I actually am 50 years old at a super soft Southern California <laughs> way and I ride longboards 90% of the time. And so or you should be if you're not. Yeah. Well, uh, this is a perfect segue for my retraction segment about last uh -oh. week's nose riding. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> I was talking. To, I was talking about that uh, film that Lauren Hill made uh, with Patagonia support called "The Physics of Nose Riding," and I mentioned her statement in the film that nose riding was invented through a mistake in the Dale Velzi factory, where a uh, board was glass they put the fin on basically the nose instead of the tail accidentally so it was an accident and then they wrote it and realized that lift in the tail created opportunity to nose ride well none other than joel tudor was quick to chime in and uh, tell me that that story is completely false and not how nose riding was invented and probably never even happened anyways so uh <laughs> I, I had never heard that story before. And you even said, when I told you, you're like, I have never heard that. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And we just ran with it. Um, not stating it as fact, just stating it as what was promoted in that film. But it got me thinking, first of all, Joel read me the riot act and the DMS, just like the guy's relentless dude. <laughs> and, yeah. and he's right. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And then he just goes and it's like, yeah, but consider this. And then he just keeps going down another. And it's like, I got it, buddy. I got it. Um, but my well, the bottom line is, is that all we were doing was saying this is what they said in the film i wasn't we weren't uh, that's all i was doing you didn't even say that you said i don't even i've never heard that story oh, yeah, so I've you never heard of that. Yeah. yeah so you were fine in it and i'm not even but what it got me thinking about was like gosh what is truth in the surf world and like honestly does matt warshaw have too is he seated with too much power at this point you know like we rely on him and matt is not uh lying or giving false narratives or anything like that like but it's one person's narrative you know what i mean and there's other people who have different perspectives and there's so much in the surf world that was happening simultaneously in terms of surfboard design so what somebody was discovering in california a lot of people were discovering in Australia at the same time. And maybe there was a phone call that was made that shared that information and planted a seed. Maybe there was like, we don't know. Nobody knows. It, well, interestingly, it's early enough now to where a lot of the people are still alive and you can actually ask them and they will tell you, but it's still just that person's reality. So it was like, yeah, I know Joel is uh, probably correct that there that law uh, nose writing started in Hawaii and there's this other storyline. 
But is it possible that that also happened in the Dale Velzi factory? And it wasn't necessarily the birth of nose riding, but it was a mistake. And there was a person who rode that board and realized the virtue of the design. You know what I mean? Can both well, things look, be true? I've pulled up Matt's encyclopedia of surfing entry for nose riding. And I'll just read what it says here, just a couple, real quick. Nose riding, a surfing maneuver in which the rider moves to the front of the board and assumes one of a half dozen or so positions. <laughs> As described by California surf journalist Bill Cleary in 1965, nose riding is a sport within a sport. It can be an act of transcendent elegance and subtlety and is most often performed in small waves while riding a longboard. Now, here's where it gets interesting for Matt's entry. The exact origins of nose riding are unknown. Hawaii's Rabbi Kakai is sometimes identified as the first surfer to consistently ride the nose, doing so in the 1940s at Queens Beach in Waikiki while on a finless hot curl surfboard. California surfer and pioneering wetsuit manufacturer Bev Morgan, however, claims that board maker Dale Velzi not only invented nose riding in 1951 at Manhattan Beach, but that he was also the first to hang five, getting the toes of the lead foot over the tip of the board and hang 10, both feet on the tip. By the late 1950s, nose riding had become the ultimate small wave maneuver and hang 10 was about to become the first surfing phrase recognized by non-surfers. So that's a little bit of insight, basically Matt saying um, kind of both what Joel had mentioned and what um, uh, Lauren Hill had mentioned in her documentary film. So tell me a little bit more about what Joel said. Um, I know he mentioned Rabbit Kakai, but was there any more insight other than, than shaming you? No, not a lot of <laughs> insights into the actual facts and history. Um, but what's interesting to me in that thing that you just read is if <clears throat> we would benefit from having more, uh, Source. original sources. Yeah. Yes. Because we so now we so much rely on Matt and his work. And if he says Bev Morgan said this thing at this time, now that becomes the portal that all truth has to filter through, you know? And it's like, well, he well also and said then, Rabbit Kakai. He also mentioned Rabbit Kakai though, but without a source. Right. So exactly. So in the forties. Right. But if somebody stated something and let's say it ended up in surfer magazine at a certain time, that's really all we can point to, you know? And there are rumors, like you said, Rabbi Kekai, there's rumors of this or oral, let's say, tradition of these things elsewhere. But it was in print over here, and that almost becomes, uh, you know, I don't know what. That yeah, almost becomes the Bible at that point. And then if Matt co-signs it, then it's like, oh, yeah, this is truth now. Um, and not yeah. that they're wrong. Like I said, it's all just that very well could have happened. And... Uh, it's all accurate yeah. information, but having an additional source or multiple sources in different places of the world, there was probably other things happening simultaneously and maybe even prior. And so being able to document that stuff, which again, I feel like it's easy to say we're too late now, but we're really not too late because so many of these pioneers still are around, you know, like we could document some of it. And you and I, again, you and I are through the podcast work and having these conversations. Some of it is being documented still. Yeah, I mean, if I was to search for some source materials, um, you know, Joel would be a place where he would lead you to probably 
like Nat Young or um, or maybe to Keone Downing, George's son, who, because I was going to say George Downing would be able to speak to Rabbit Kakai. Um, so I'm trying to think of like Hawaiian guys that, older guys that could speak to the Rabbit Kakai stuff. Um, and Keone comes to mind. Um, perhaps Randy Rarick. And if, on the California side, um, you know, maybe um, our friend at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, Dick Metz, mm. uh, or somebody there. Um, you know who else, too, would be interesting is um, Grubby Clark might oh, yeah. be able to speak to her. Walter Hoffman. Yeah. You know, those guys might, those guys are still around. They could probably speak to it from yeah. the Bev Morgan side of it, or maybe even backing up. Because the, the, the bottom line is, is that both are true. I believe that Rabbi Kakai was the first one to know, right? Like, I'm not, yeah. I, I believe that, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And a lot of it has to do with board design. You know, that hot curl. <laughs> you're gonna it's get a nose rider heavy and gnarly and you want to be up at the front of it when the thing when the wave crashes down you don't want it out in front of you yeah. you want to be up up at the nose so you can grab the outside rail when the thing hits you and crashes down on you and i'm sure that's probably the same for um what happened with velzy at manhattan beach it's like this is a heavy ass board i'm way safer up on the nose when this thing wipes out yeah. and it you know having the nose the, a big chunk of the board in front of you it's smashing and pushing the board up at your head. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's probably a safety issue when it comes down to it. The reasoning behind some of it at the yeah. very beginnings were this is the safest way to get out of this wave is to it, be up on the nose. It was a functional thing for sure. And then there's a distinction in nose riding where it became about style, you know, or form or, or whatever. Um, but I appreciate all these people's efforts. You know what I mean? Like, I yep. love the film that Lauren made and I love Joel's feedback and I'm honored to kind of be on the receiving end of the feedback and trying to parse it all. And yeah. obviously we appreciate Matt's work and all that, which you could support at encyclopedia of surfing.com for three bucks a month. Yeah. Uh, and that goes a long way. So yeah, I'm all about it and I appreciate all of it. Um, back to Jai Glindeman real quick. How do you like his surfing? Um, I mean, he's a great surfer, you know, um, I, yeah, I mean, he's a. It's just kind of generic, you really? know. Like, I mean, he surfs great. Uh, you I'm know, so into it, dude. I, I think he surfs great. I'm, I, 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 I'm not like, wow, that's just mind blowing. I mean, he's he's doing beautiful, smooth bottom turns at the bottom, going straight. Yeah, he does have. There's a lot of um, pleasing aesthetic. It's not a lot of like three or four check turn bottom turns. It's one smooth bottom turn into one smooth top turn. Uh, you know, um, would um, I be honored to be able to surf like him? Absolutely. You know, yeah. like I, he's very smooth. He's very stylish. He's, he's you know, he's kind of got a almost like a Dave Rostovich vibe. You know, he's got like an Ethan Ewing vibe, like minimalist. Brendan Margeson is who I was thinking. There you go. So, um Surf's what, great. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh my God, he needs to be on tour or whatever, you know, but he could well, be on tour. I don't think, shoot, we're re-entering another renaissance phase, I feel like, where the tour has a lot less appeal and a lot less to offer so many of those surfers. You know, um, like when Curran went on the search and kind of opened up an entire free surfing category for 10 or 15 years for 
half of the professional surfers that existed during those years. I feel like that's kind of where we're entering now, where I saw this post from Stab yesterday with Shane Sykes doing this huge alley-oop. And it the quote was, I'm so done with the QS. And it's just this massive alley-oop. And it's like, good for you. Not only do you need nothing to do with the QS, like it wouldn't honor the type of surfing that you're doing. So absolutely, if you have a career outside of the QS, by all means, pursue it. And diversity is good for us, the viewer. And I look at Jai and I go, man, I really hope Jai can make a living doing what he's doing because I would like to watch more of his surfing. And it doesn't fit the QS at all, you know? But um, Ronnie Blakey, they made a, a stab, did make a film different than the edit that they just released, but like a longer film with Jai that they dropped a week or two ago. And they interviewed Ronnie Blakey about it. And Ronnie did such a good job distilling uh, and explaining Jai surfing in context to the homogenization of all other professional surfing in the last few years or last 10 years, let's say, where he's like, because airs have become such a rewarded and exciting part of surfing, you see the stance just widening. Like the average surfer stance, especially on the CT, has a certain width to it that did not exist prior. Like Aki's stance was not that way. Tom Curran's stance was not that way. And Jai is cut from the Aki cloth where it's like centered, low, power-based, doesn't matter about landing in air and aiming for, you know, points on the wave, not points off of the wave. And uh, Ronnie did a far better job and a longer job of explaining it than I'm doing now. But I was like, man, that's such an astute assessment from Ronnie. And that's exactly correct. And what I love about Jai surfing and I'm not trying to compare it to Felipe surfing or anything. It's just entirely different, but I've got room. I've got love for both of them, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And I'll, I will say this about that edit that I watched this morning is that it's the reason that I ordered a sharp eye surfboard. No way. And it doesn't, and he wasn't riding a sharp eye, but his surfing was so inspiring. I was like, God, you know what? I need to get a board for my trip. This This guy's got me excited about all these different boards you know wow and it moved me to to place the order for my custom surfboard and so that's a lot you know yeah. about, about the edit and about his surfing and like i said it's got and as you mentioned in ronnie too it's got a, a sort of a tom curran minimalist less is more this is a beautiful dance that i'm seeing here yeah um versus let's set up a wide stance and let, you know let's telegraph that punt 20 yards down the line here exactly um well as it relates to the wide stance and telegraphing a punt the uh mayo rip curl pro portugal is uh in its waiting period geez louise the waves were pumping last week i mean it was all time super tubos um and not only like flawless but big like double to triple overhead, really impressive. Spitting barrels up and down the beach. Um, they aren't right now. So day one, it looks like they're not going to run ultimately until the weekend. So it's there's plenty of swell still, but a lot of south wind, I guess, the next couple of days. And then we're looking at Saturday and Sunday. There should be clean wind and still a lot of energy in the water. Not as big as last week, but certainly head high and spitting tubes. So it looks like we might get a start this weekend, which is the middle of the night for you and I. 
Yeah, the conditions are looking solid for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, plenty of swell, and a couple moments of weird winds, but I don't think it will affect it too much. And um, I'm looking forward to checking it out, to be honest with you. Uh, the stuff that we saw, I watched um, an edit, I think on YouTube, of a couple of days ago, last Friday, I believe it was. Um, <clears throat> and it was next level craziness. Um, Barrels well, Idolo looked solid. Did you see the edit that had a lot of Idolo in it? I, I didn't see carbon? a full edit. I just saw individual waves, but I told you last oh, week. Oh, that just Idolo. reminded me. I also ordered a Dark Arts. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. I ordered a Dark Arts. Actually, JT came up to me. He's like, dude, I got a board for you. I know you. Know, and I'm like, okay, here's my dimensions. Let's go. You are the so. only human being on the planet who doesn't remember that you ordered a Dark Arts. Well, my problem is if you come up to me and go, hey, I'd like to make you a board, I will go, okay, let's do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, that's on Well, me. so what'd you get from I'm excited. What'd you get a from six Dark two, Arts? Like a, a high performance board for Indo, you Man. know, like a 6 2 by whatever, 20 or whatever I put. Man, halfway through 75 hard and you were just ordering short boards willy nilly, dude, thinking you're going to be shredding. <laughs> you know. Um, well, so Idolo was the first clip that I saw from Super Tubos this season, and it was that massive left that he just got completely shacked yeah. on. And it's like I told you last week, Idolo, if I was still in Survival League, he was my number one pick on my spreadsheet. So we're going into it with that, which is very likely to mean Idolo is going to drop out in the round of 32 because I picked yeah. him. I cursed him with my pick. But uh yeah, the well, free. I do, I do like Goofy Foot. I do like a Goofy Foot. Whoever you pick in Survival League, listeners out there that are still in it, there's probably only 20 people left. Yeah. Like a Goofy Foot here, but I interrupted yeah. you. Well, no, I was just rambling on about how great the waves were and some of the free surfs. And, you know, you try to glean some insights from those free surfs to make your picks. One Kelly Slater did that turn that Peter King posted yesterday. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, that was awesome. Um, Interestingly, he was riding a Mike Wu surfboard. So Mike Wu, uh, not a name that we know, but Kelly revealed a Maybe Mike he'll Wu. Maybe I'll order a Mike Wu before the show's over. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. So uh, two years ago, I'd say, Kelly was in Bali and he was riding Mike Wu. Actually, it might've been during COVID when he like spent an extended period of time there. He was posting these Mike Wu boards and I'm like, what the heck? Who is that? So I DM'd Mike Wu. I'm like, dude, let's do a podcast interview. I would love to hear like, yeah. and he had like 500 followers, you know, like he, nobody kind of, he wasn't a big name in yeah. the surf world, obviously. Um, and I'm like, but I just want to know, like, how is it that you're kind of a small builder and Kelly Slater's writing your boards? That's the story. Let's talk about it. And he's like, yeah, maybe we'll see, you know, I'm kind of like, um, he didn't say I'm reclusive, but it, essentially he was saying I'm a little bit reclusive and I'm not sure about it. Yeah. And then I never heard back from him after that. And I think I did reach out once or twice. But then Kelly stopped writing his boards the last couple of years. Boom, he's back on a woo in Portugal, which is kind of interesting. Like, I understand writing the local builder in the region that you're in, but I'm interested what about those woo boards lends themselves to punchy super tubos, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. It was an incredible turn. It was kind of turn and I was like, okay, well, we let's put do that with a jersey on. It, it had that Slater moment where it's like super radical committed uh, rail berry. And then, Oh, maybe a little sketchy, but stylishly sketchy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like stylishly, maybe on the edge here, 
And then of course, pulling it off fully controlled double, double jointed back. Yeah. The, the power and then release feigning loss of control, but still being in control is exactly what you want. And that that's what that was. Um, but it also made me think Kelly's Kelly. Again, we talked about, is he going to make the cut this year? Bad result at pipe. Like he really needs to kind of focus on venues that he's not particularly great at. So sunset Portugal. Um, and I really feel like he's showing up with his a game like that one show right there. I was like, Oh, he's got interesting boards. It means he's thinking about that. He's doing the craziest turn that we've seen in the free surfs. I feel like he's got his head in the game at this moment. Well, and as you know, it's the, you know, he's got Olympic qualification on his brain is what I think this is about. I think there's more of that and um, sort of, manifesting his desire to do well um i think that's the chief activator there is is that qualification for the olympics because we know he i mean look frankly you and i i want kelly slater in the olympics at choku i just do yeah i just and i think everyone in the world especially the wsl i mean who doesn't want a 52 year old kelly slater at choku come on well- you know what's funny? So our buddies at the Florida Surf Film Festival do a podcast called Surf Stories, and I distribute it for them through Surf Splendor. And they just interviewed uh, Jay and Jessica Johnson, who are uh, basically, I don't even know what their roles are. They're director and producers of um, the Olympic – I don't even know what uh, – the IOC. They work, They're like, they work for the ISA? Yeah, they work for the ISA and they're seeing Fernando's vision through. Okay, and, right. and so um, they were asking, of course, about qualif- Kevin and John at Florida Surf Festival were asking about how, what are the methods for qualification to the Olympics? It's so convoluted, right? And like, it's changing all the time. Yeah. But interestingly, they revealed a Kelly caveat, essentially saying we're we have adapted and built in structures to allow <laughs> Kelly Slater into the event is essentially what they were saying. Now, <laughs> this is awesome. I'm so glad to hear this. I mean, I'm, they all but in said like, that, right? Even, even if John, John and Griffin make it for the USA yes. or whoever the two USA, there's still like a legendary hero backdoor slide in for Slater. Yes. And they, they were even laughing as they said it and they, they didn't, they might've said Kelly caveat even, you know, it was like, but then they even said like, look, this rule applies to everyone. So this could be a Felipe caveat. If is this the, is this the caveat where if you go to the world games and your international team gets the gold, you get slipped uh, an extra spot. I that think was that's only, what it is. That was one of them. <laughs> were, oh, that was no, only that was one of the multiple ways to then get in uh, through a different method other than the originally scheduled ones. You know what I mean? And caveats was, plural. Exactly. Exactly. And it existed last year and it's going to exist. And they're like, but by the way, the additional caveat is this is ever changing. So we're just going to adapt it and mold it and shift right. it. And, blah, blah. and I'm just like, oh my gosh, dude. Well, look, here's what we do know that Slater is at some level, he's Syrian. So he could maybe be a Syrian <laughs> representative. <laughs> dude, if he played that I mean, card, that he's would like be waving incredible. the Syrian flag for Assad. <laughs> oh I know. 
which I'm not even, I'm not making fun. I'm not saying it's wrong. No. I want to see Kelly there too. It's all good. And by the way, like I mean, this whole look, thing. Bottom is line is Slater could win it if it's a Chofu. So that's why we're for it. And we, and it would just be good for the sport to have. Yeah. I mean, what a storyline for NBC. Yeah. Um, I wanted to discuss Zeke Lau's article. He inter- Stab Magazine interviewed him about all the controversy that you and I have discussed yes. here. Yes. Um, but my question to you is, do you need a bathroom break? <laughs> wow. You had to be so blunt about it. You couldn't, you couldn't have like, somehow we need to make it, you know, more discreet. You're the one who comes back and then talks about your flow rate. Okay. So I don't know what you're trying to conceal in advance. Uh, I'm taking this as a I I will take a break. I will take a break. Me too. All right. Let's hit up waterwaystravel.com. Scott Bass, waterwaystravel.com for all of your uh, surf concierge needs, all your traveling needs. Look, it's important that when you do surf travel, one, you plan in advance. And two, that um, you actually book your ticket. And to do that, you're going to need waterways travel. Uh, these guys are the experts. Sean Murphy and his team have been doing it for longer than anybody. And it's an absolute no-brainer. Use waterways travel. Well, um, they may obviously, they simplify everything. You don't have to worry about anything. You contact them. They'll tell you, well, tell them where you want to go. They'll tell you what to bring, how to pack. They'll make sure shuttle, transport, boats, photographers, whatever you need. So they simplify it all. But I was just looking at uh, Punto Conejo Resort, right? Oh, yeah. These reeling right-hand barrels, almost looks too easy. Uh, warm <laughs> water. <laughs> uh, they said space available from now until April 13th. So you got a month, $299 per person four night minimum that's super affordable to go and get shacked um slots available for march and april they're running that special get some well-deserved tube time easy access from southern california to get down there and again affordable so strike mission what do you got on the calendar between now and easter probably nothing go get shacked in mexico do it through waterways travel yeah, this is a great call and a great idea. And um, yes, yes, and more yes, waterwaystravel.com. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, I'm back. Okay. And um, I don't know if I told you this, but I did. I actually gave a talk on surfing to a conference of enderologists, the World Conference of Enderology, um, a couple of months ago here in San Diego. And so, you know, my flow rate, I think I'm at like one milliliter per minute. Is that good? I don't know. I just made that up. Really? I do remember that you were giving that talk, though. How did that go? Good. They never paid me, though. They, I never received payment. Um, I'm calling them out. It's not cool to call people out. On them. <laughs> it's, it's, maybe well, it's because I didn't invoice them. I thought I, you know, I'll look into it. I'm look sure into they're, it. Good. they're good what? for it. They yeah, are yeah. good. Good yeah. people there at the World Conference of Enderology. I had a great time giving the talk, too, by the way. They're on a six month cycle. I think. Um, they forgot or I didn't invoice them or something silly. Yeah. Double check. Um, well, anyway, Zeke Lau, right. Was. Yes. So you and I have talked about Zeke Lau. We also talked about his public image and that we've helped kind of, um, shaped for better or worse, but, um, he stab magazine interviewed him and it was interesting. They said, uh, he unsubscribed. They opened up the article by saying, <laughs> you know, stab or, uh, Zeke unsubscribed from Stab Premium, and when our system asked him why, he left a brief note. You guys effing suck, exclamation point. And they admitted in the preview or the uh, introduction of the article, they're like, look, we've kind of given him not a fair shake. We've kind of written a lot of negative stories about him without really covering the positive things about his career. And we've never asked him for a comment on any of this stuff. So now we're going to hand him the microphone and hear his side of the story. So they do talk about his uh, upbringing and some of that stuff, which is less interesting, but they also ask him about the few incidents that you and I have discussed over the years. One of them was the Jacob Wilcox incident where he burned Jacob Wilcox, uh, who was a wild card at a CT event in Australia, and then flung his board at Jacob when Jacob passed him on the wave. They also asked him about the uh, interference that he had at Pipeline against Kiowa Belly this year. They asked him about paddling around John John at Bells a few years ago. They asked him also about the interference that he got against Rio Wida at sunset this year, all controversial things. And uh, he spoke about each of them. Did you read the article? I did. I read the article. Um, I thought it was interesting. Um, Zeke's an interesting person, right? There's like this, like when I, when I hear him talk through the article, um, he seems uh, reasonable and somebody that I would like. You know, like somebody that I would get along with, somebody that I could agree with. And but 
then his actions are sort of opposite from like at least with Sonny, like Sonny would be like, that's right, I did that, and F you, and like Sonny's words in an interview would be would match up his actions, would match to his actions. Whereas with Zeke, I see this, um, there's like this paradox, you know, it's like, well, what I'm reading is this really sounds like a really cool guy, but what I'm seeing is, um, you know, not what I'm, they don't match up. Um, so I'm yeah. a little bit conflicted, I guess. Yeah, well, I think he is too. Um and Calm Turin in the comments section, I think, summed up what you're talking about. He said, Zeke, your actions have had this funny habit of being inconsistent with your words. And when that happens time and time again, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise when people just don't believe your words. Act differently and people will judge you differently. Um, so I thought that, yes, that's all accurate. And but. I don't think any of this bodes well for Zeke and his uh, competitive results, right? Yes, you want to be... So basically, they asked him about the Jacob Wilcox situation. Zeke sums it up. Zeke, uh, Zeke apologizes. He says, I was absolutely in the wrong, but let me explain why. I was so excited about this event. I was really geared up. I was doing my best surfing ever. And then I got there and I was free surfing in the morning and it was really slow. There was only one wave every 30 minutes and there was a hundred people in the lineup. And so I got frustrated. So I burned a local and yeah, I then kicked my board at him. I was wrong. He then said, I had to ask myself, quote, what kind of person do I want to be? If I lose everything right now, do I want to be the asshole on tour that no one liked? Or do I want to be a good person, whether I win or lose? I can feel good about myself knowing I'm trying. Can I feel good about myself knowing that I'm trying hard? End quote. And so he's conflicted, right? Let me tell you something. Gabriel Medina does not feel that confliction. You know what I mean? Like, or conflicted. He feels Gabe's going to go out there. Yeah, he's going to burn the locals. He's going to get the best waves. And then he's going to go win the event and not feel any way about it. He's not necessarily going to speak on it in the post interview the way that Sonny might brandish his fist, you know, and be like, F you, I'm going to do it. Gabe doesn't necessarily do that. But Gabe is unapologetically Gabe. The fact that Zeke has this consternation is the crippling thing for Zeke. And he even said, he goes, after that happened with Jake, I lost, like, I lost all the confidence, all the confidence I had going into that event. Before the event even started, it was all gone. I was pissed at myself. I was unsure. I didn't know what to do. And I lost immediately. And he talks about that uh, was part of why he had the interference at Pipe this year with Kaio Abeli as well. And then that shook him up. And so then when he was at Sunset, it was a kind of a similar situation. He's in two minds and he needs to abandon that and he needs to just be Zeke unapologetically. Yeah, I mean, you and I have spoken about how we love the fact that Zeke has sort of taken that dark hat that Gabe sort of once wore and he's put it on. You know, like the reason I like Zeke is that He's Zeke. I know that there's going to be storylines. I know there's going to be some fire, something fiery is going to happen. Something bad might is probably going to happen to Zeke, which I'm okay with. <laughs> I just like that. I like that there's fire. You know what I mean? And and I don't think suppressing the fire is a good move. Now, it's might not work for sponsorship. Like people might not be his biggest fans, but in the end, um, a lot of us like the fire. Like yeah. bring the fire. I'm okay yeah. with the fire. And um, I think it's good for this, obviously for the narrative uh, with the WSL as well, to have a guy. I mean, look, 
the bottom line is we want to see Kyle and Zeke go mano in mano in the next heat tomorrow. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, like let's capitalize on this. Yeah. You know? Well, and Zeke, Zeke's confu- conflation of, I want to be a good person and be able to stand behind my actions, but I also want to win heats. Divorce yourself from being the good person thing has nothing to do with how you're surfing this heat. You know what I mean? Like, do not factor that in to whether you're a good person or not. You're out there to win a heat. And it's not about persons. It's about comp- competition and winning a heat. Who it's cares if Kyle gets his feelings hurt? Kyle well, doesn't. It's interesting. Like the way um, he paddled Rio Wada all over the place at the sunset event. Anybody else did that? We'd be like, like if John John did that, we'd be like, oh yeah, it's a super smart move. Or if Leo had done it in that heat, like that's what you do. But for whatever reason, when Zeke does it, it's like, oh, look, Zeke's being a dick. You no, the mean? problem was when Zeke played the victim. When Zeke did that and then lost, died by his own sword, and then acted pissed off like it was the judge's fault. You know, that was the problem. That's where we got mad at Zeke. But by the way, he does, when he talks about that incident, he reveals he was doing it for Leo. He says, Leo asked me, hey, go sit on Rio because I don't want Rio to get a five and bump me into third. So Zeke was playing a game in that moment. And that's where Zeke was wrong. Zeke be like, F Leo. I don't care that we're friends and that we're on the same team. In the same way, F Kayo in the pipe thing, because who cares? F you, you know, F my enemy, F my friend. I'm here to win the heat. Like, how can you not be there with that mentality at that level? He's just going to get smoked left and right because people are cutthroat. Yeah. Well, I, there's there's a certain sensitivity that comes out in the interview, um, which I appreciate and I like. And um, and I think it's important that he honor that internally within, in himself. But I agree with you also that once the jersey goes on, just do the jersey thing that needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, frankly, you know, back in the day when, you know, 30, 30 years ago or whatever, when I used to surf competitively, I was more like Zeke than I was like John John as far as like, I was kind of the guy that wasn't good enough talent wise. And so I would try to win through tactics. Yeah. You know, I would paddle you all over the place and, right. paddle, you know, whatever it took. Cause, cause, and that's with the Jersey on the Jersey's on dude, the Jersey's on like, yeah. It's a competition. This isn't yeah. a free serve. Exactly. Yeah. So you can be a nice guy and still do that. Yes. And be sensitive. You could be a good human being. Like the fact that he's conflating like what's happening in a heat with his value as, you know, or his integrity or any of that stuff is bizarre to me at that level of surfing that he's still struggling with that, you know, and he hasn't yeah. just committed to the life. But yeah. In many ways, I feel like Jake Patterson's the best person he needs to bring Jake back into maybe the fold. I, yeah. I think Jake's the guy. I mean, talk about a cutthroat competitor. Jake Patterson would just be like, look, Zeke, go out, do this, don't do this. You know, and I think yeah. I think that would be centering for him going in. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, look, this next event is kind of gnarly, but like there's only three events left until yeah. the cut. If you didn't do well in Hawaii, this is like now you're at three events. You got three events. You got to do good in all three of them. Well, look, this might be the last time we hear from Zeke. You know what I mean? Like if he doesn't re-qualify, then I don't see him. Or if he doesn't qualify before the mid-year cut, I don't see him necessarily re-qualifying through the CS series, even though 
he did last Lackers, time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So whatever. Uh, but yeah. kudos to Stab for at least reaching out to him. I actually had a thought to reach out to him too and just do a podcast interview with him. But then I was like, I don't know that I even care that much. You know what I mean? Like, I'm glad that Stab did because I do want to hear his side. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know that it's the most uh, evergreen type of interview. Um, I've got a little bit of a hard out. So do you have anything else that you need to discuss? Yeah, I do. I need to tell you about the California Gold Surf Auction. And we've been doing this the last couple of weeks. I've been giving you some insight about one board. And we've got one of the lots, by the way, the auction preview is available. You can go now and look at all 48 lots that are under the auction block at the California Gold Surf Auction. And we've got um, some personal riders. So we have personal boards. These were the boards that were written by Dale Velzi, Lane Beachley. We mentioned Butch Van Artsdalen. And we also have Wingnut's personal board, a board that he wrote in the famous movie Endless Summer 2 that Bruce Brown did. And here's a note from Wingnut himself about the board. And I'm quoting Wingnut here. This is board number 15 was shaped by Mike Minchington at Robert August Surfboards in Huntington Beach in 1993. Was more refined and pulled in version of the boards I was riding earlier in Endless Summer 2. Robert August and Mike Minchington had asked me if I wanted any changes after getting my ass kicked in Fiji. So the board you have here is the result, way faster and more maneuverable for G-Land. Actually, one of my favorite waves in the film is at G-Land where I have enough speed to get a little switch stance cover up at the end of the wave. This was on that board. There were 25 boards made for me during the film. The intent was for New Line Cinema to give them away as promotional items at some point. But Bruce Brown disliked the studio executives so much. By the end of the film, he told me to go grab those that were stashed at his place and keep them. By the way, Bruce has number one of that series, Aloha Wingnut. So we have the board that Wingnut rode in the movie, um, Great Provenance, great pedigree with Mike Minchington at Robert August Surfboards and a personal rider of um, one of the greatest personalities in all of surfing, uh, Wingnut, and this board from Endless Summer 2. So that's one of the boards of the 48 that are on the auction block. And uh, bidding begins March 11th here and bidding, be bidding will begin closing Saturday, March 25th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Amazing. Yeah, I remember that exact wave that he's talking about, that switch stance one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool, uh, cool little board. Great and, uh, get. Yeah. California Gold Surf Auction. Check it out. Uh, um, my must see moment comes from John John Florence's YouTube page. Uh, they released this edit about a week early to their members, their uh, his brands, Florence Marine X's members. But it just went live, I think, yesterday to the whole world. And it's yeah. called North Shore Slot Machine. That thing is insane. It's a crazy town, dude. I know. I, I'm also a member of Florence uh, Marine X. And so I, I got access as you, as did you. And frankly, I went on there and I'm buying some stuff. Yeah, I'm <laughs> but, wearing it right now. And you, well, yeah, you are exactly. I'm psyched so on great. it. Tell me, about the, tell me about the slot machine, North Shore slot machine. Well, it's a double up backless sandbar wave. Not even a double up. It's like a quadruple up or a tenfold up. Um, <laughs> what is that? What is 10? We go quad, we go quintuple, we go sextuple maybe. And then I don't know how you get to 10. But When you're having problems urinating, try to figure that out and your flow rate will increase. Perfect. Words of wisdom. 
um, from the aged men of spit podcast. <laughs> uh, but the wave itself, the face of the wave is two feet. Yeah. But the back of the wave is 10 feet. And then it's flat with the ocean behind it. And it's just this gurgling monster that folds up on itself. And you don't even paddle in. The thing just starts sucking up and you stand up and hopefully you're able to kind of move forward. And uh, John John, we've seen a couple of edits from John John surfing that wave in the past. And uh, this is, and now Kelly's out there, Nathan's out there. There's a couple of other guys out there. And you know, John John seems to be the only one who can really make sense of it. He's getting like long barrels and then making them. Everybody else is just pulling into closeouts essentially. But the one thing that we haven't seen in the past was the drone shot. So being able to kind of see the way that ocean moves from that bird's eye angle is uh, freakish and totally, totally unique and different. So I, it's only like a five minute edit, maybe three to five minutes. And, uh, but it's phenomenally entertaining and seeing what John does is like, I don't know, maestro level stuff. Yeah. Maestro. Exactly. Da Vinci guy's amazing. He really fun is. It's going to be a fun, fun season. Uh, hopefully he gets into gear here and gets a result. And, um, Look, he'd be yeah. a good pick for Portugal. I think he's won out there in the past. He's great at shifty beach breaks, as we just kind of detailed. Uh, he's won in France in shifty beach breaks, beach breaks, Brazil in shifty beach breaks. So I think I got he, a couple dark, dark horses for you. Okay, hit me. Um, if you're still in Survival League, but even if you're not, and maybe these are too dark of dark horses for Survival League. But as I mentioned, I like Goofy Foot. So I'm looking at um, Yago Dora and Nat Young as potential um finalists i like here. it i'll offer a dark horse in joao chianca okay he looks on fire this year i don't think he's a dark horse i think he's a favorite well yeah yeah i mean i don't know okay yeah, fine maybe, maybe yago's a favorite too yeah yeah anyway it'll be a fun event uh good it's gonna be good surfing and it looks like friday they're gonna get underway okay. yeah well we'll discuss it next week then Okay, well, until next time, David, adios and aloha.
山。